Back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. <clears throat> Today we're going to be reading part two of Joseph's inspired translation, starting on page 159, <clears throat> which is immediately continuing with uh, where I left off on part two, which was two hours and 14 minutes, I guess. I think something like that. Anyway, but we're at 50% now, so we're on page. We're going to start on page uh, the end of page 158. And then we'll be on one page 59 at 50%, almost 51%. A sampling of seven topics have been selected to illustrate the inspiration and insight manifested by the prophet Joseph in his revision of the Bible. Now on page 159 at 51%. Number one, the Lord repents of evil. When the Israelites made a golden calf to worship, the Lord said he would destroy Israel. But according to most versions, Moses tells God to repent of evil. And the Lord repented. From the King James Version, it states, Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Exodus chapter 32, verses 12 and 14 in the King James Version of the Bible. But the inspired version of the story is corrected to become very clear. Quote, turn thy fierce wrath, turn from thy fierce wrath. Thy people will repent of this evil. Therefore, come thou not out against them. And the Lord said unto Moses, If they will repent of this evil which they have done, I will spare them and turn away my fierce wrath. But behold, thou shalt execute judgment upon all that will not repent of this evil this day. Therefore, see thou do this thing that I have commanded thee, or I will execute all that which I had thought to do unto my people and that's the inspired translation of the same chapter and verse in the king james exodus 32 verses 12 and 14. instead of god repenting of evil so god's evil in the king james version it was the israelites who needed to repent when repentance means to turn back to god that's all it means it doesn't mean to punish yourself or anything like that it means to turn away from the evil that you had done or the things, the the false doctrines or the false beliefs that you've had and turn back to God and to the truth. It was the Israelites who needed to repent. And instead of Moses chastising the Lord, he was pleading for Israel, which places both God and Moses in a more proper and correct position. And again, the prophet once commented on it, Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, I repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. But it ought to read, it repented Noah 
that God made man. See, we get that from the inspired translation, but Joseph talked about that, which is recording in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 327. On page one, we're on page 160 at 54%. Number two, no man hath seen God. Many ancient prophets testified of seeing God, yet the Bible, the Bible we read these strange statements. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten, which is the in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. So that, that kind of, I, I don't understand why these stupid Trinitarians are like, oh, oh, uh, you know, no man's seen God, but we believe Jesus is the Father and the Son, and that we've seen, people have seen him, thousands have seen him, but like, no one's ever seen the God. It's just they do uh, mental gymnastics to to fit their theology into this tight paradigm that they have, and anything that seems to contradict it, that's when they do the the, the crazy uh, mental gymnastics. Anyway, and then in John, First uh, John, not John, but First John chapter four twelve, no man has seen God at any time. Exodus says. Thou canst see, thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And yet, the same in the same chapter, it is in the same chapter is recorded in verse eleven, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. That's verse eleven of Exodus thirty-three. So it contradicts this other crap. That's why there had to be these these inspired revisions and tra- the translations because there has been crap that has, has been sewed into the Bible throughout the years and it's teaching false doctrines. These verses are all clarified by the prophet as follows. First John, or I'm sorry, John chapter 1 verse 18 of the inspired translation changes it and no man hath seen God at any time except he hath borne record of the Son for except it is through him no man can be saved that's the inspired translation the inspired translation of John 1st John chapter 412 no man hath seen God at any time except them who believe The inspired translation of Exodus 33:20, And he said unto Moses, Thou canst not see my face at this time, lest mine anger be kindled against thee also, and I destroy thee and thy people, for there shall no man among them see me at this time and live, for they are exceedingly sinful. And no sinful man hath at any time, neither shall there be any sinful man at any time that shall see my face and love. Exodus 33, verse 20 of the Inspired Translation. Each of these passages become more clear when it is understood that no sinful man can see God. We're on page 160 at 57%. Topic 3, The Righteousness of Lot. From the King James Version, we read that Lot gave his daughters to wicked men of Sodom to do whatever they wanted with them. And we get this from Genesis chapter 19, verse 8. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. 
lest me. Or let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and ye shall do unto them as it good in your eyes, only unto these men to do nothing. So don't touch these men that are, who are angels, who are resurrected persons before the resurrection, who have come with bodies. They look like mortal men. Remember in the scriptures it says, Be not for, uh, forgetful to entertain strangers, for them by some have entertained angels unaware. Well, these angels are manifest in the flesh. They look like mortal men, but they only look like that because they have res- resurrected bodies from a prior earth. This is before the resurrection that Jesus Christ brought forth. They are not men who lived on the earth and who are resurrected in some glorious manner. They obtained their resurrection on an older earth. And if you understood the progression of the gods and uh, multiple mortal probations and the cycles of each earth, you would understand these things. But a lot of people, they don't understand these things. They use mental gymnastics if they even attempt to, to figure it out, but they don't understand these things. They're not prophets. I do understand these things because God has shown them to me. And I am a prophet, seer, and revelator. So Lot tells these men to do uh, nothing to the men, but he says, go ahead and rape my daughters. Therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So, and like, that, that was also the lot. You could not touch somebody under the shadow of your roof, but whatever. Genesis 19, 8, and that's the King James Version. However, Lot was a righteous man and did not actually give his daughters to them, according to the inspired translation. This is the inspired translation of the same chapter. Wherefore they said unto man, unto the man, they're speaking unto Lot, we will have the men and thy daughters also, and we will do with them as seemeth us good. And now this was after the wickedness of Sodom. And Lot said, Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, with my brethren, that I may not bring them out unto you, and you, ye shall not do unto them as seemeth you good in your eyes. And God will not justify his servant in this thing. Genesis chapter 19, verses 11 through 14. See, Satan's gotten his crap into the scriptures and into the texts. And it takes a true prophet to bring it back from the wickedness that has been sown into it. That's why God brought forth the prophet Joseph Smith and called him from before the foundations of the earth. Number four, Paul's vision. One of the most noticeable contradictions of the Bible is Paul's vision while he was traveling on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, verse 7, it says, And these men journey, which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but, but seeing no man. 
or on page 162 at 60%. But Paul's version, as recorded in Acts chapter 22, verse 9, differs. This is off from the King James Version. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spoke. So in one scriptures it says they heard the voice, but they didn't see the light. In another scripture it says they saw the light and it scared them to death, but they heard no voice, right? So there's contradictions here clearly. The prophet Joseph Smith corrected Act 9, the Acts 9 version to agree with Paul, stating that the man saw that the men saw the light, which is more plausible since the verbal message was for Paul, while the light would cause the men to stand speechless and know that some divine manifestation was transpiring. Topic 5. Angels in the Tomb Both Luke 24, verses 4 through 6, and John 20, verses 11 through 13, say that there were two angels present at the tomb of Jesus. However, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7, and Mark 16, verses 5 and 6, describe only one angel at the tomb. These are direct contradictions, and no one but a prophet would ever know how many angels there actually were. Joseph Smith in the Inspired Version gives an account of two angels appearing on the morning of the resurrection. Number six, or topic six, the death of Judas Iscariot. The King James Version of the Bible records two different accounts of how Judas died. Matthew said that Judas went and hanged himself, um, Matthew 27, 5, but Peter said that he was falling headlong, burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Acts chapter 1, verse 18. However, the Joseph Smith-inspired version brought our translation, brought the two accounts together by exclaiming that he went and hanged himself on a tree and straightway fell down. So, he hangs himself a tree on the cliff. The rope breaks. He, he straightway fell down and hit, and his bowels gushed out, and he died. Matthew 27, 6. We're on page 163 at 63%. Topic 7. Many speared, or Mary speared to death. According to the King James Version of the Bible, Mary was pierced through with a sword. But according to the inspired translation, it was not so. Luke records Simeon saying, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. But the prophet Joseph rendered it, Yea, a spear shall pierce through him to the wounding of thine own soul also. Luke chapter five, uh, chapter two, verse thirty-five of the Inspired Translation, the Joseph Smith Inspired Translation of the Bible. The spear did not pierce Jesus. The spear did pierce Jesus. I'm sorry, but it brought much, brought much grief to Mary's own soul as well. One of the main objections of Joseph Smith's inspired translation was the extended information added to certain verses. 
But this is not a factor against, but rather a favor of his inspiration. When all other translators made such word-for-word literal renditions, Joseph could add and extend the length to enable a better understanding of the scripture. A prophet can understand by inspiration that the original writers, what the original writers of the scriptures intended, rather than just guess by human wisdom as other translators have done. By comparing Joseph Smith's revision to the transcription of others, it is very easy to determine the inspiration of a prophet against the wisdom of man. So, um, in the King James Version of Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said unto, unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But the inspired translation of the Bible says, When Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And now for a man to take up his cross is to deny himself all ungodliness and every worldly lust and keep my commandments. Break not my commandments for two... um, Break not my commandments for to save your souls or save your lives. Matthew 16, 25 through 27 of the Inspired Translation. And we are into page 164 at 67%. And pertaining to every important event of the history of Israel, the Lord's giving the Ten Commandments. Quote the King James Version of the Bible. It states, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tablets the words that were on the first tablet, which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning. Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 2. But in this inspired translation of the Bible, the same part of that, or the same, you know, Genesis, or no, Exodus, I mean. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew these two other tablets of stone like like the first, and I will write upon them also the words of the law, according as they were written at the first on the tablet which thou breakest. But it shall not be according to the first, for I will take away the priesthood out of their midst, Therefore, mine holy order and the ordinances thereof shall not go not go before them, for my presence shall not go up in their midst, lest I destroy them. But I will give unto them the law as at first, but it shall be after the law of a of carnal commandment. For I have sworn in my wrath that they shall not enter into my presence unto my rest in the day of their pilgrimage. Therefore do as I have commanded thee and be ready in the the morning. 
Exodus chapter 34, verse 1 and 2 in the Inspired Translation. So God issued a law in the second set of tablets, but not the same law, ordinances, or priesthood. This clarifies Apostle Paul's statement where he said that the law was added because of transgression. Galatians 3, verse 19. This was clarified again in Deuteronomy 10 of the Inspired Translation. Jesus accused some of the Jewish lawyers and theologians of taking away the key of knowledge in Luke, Luke um, 1153 and one page 165 at 71%. In the Inspired Translation, Joseph explained that this key was the fullness of the scriptures. In other words, they were changing, altering, and deleting some of some of the words of God. See, this started with Josiah. Six, seven hundred years before Christ. Another example of an inspire of an insertion is found between verses 33 and 34 of Luke 14. One of the keys someone lost may have been in this verse, or someone lost one of the keys someone lost may be in this verse. Quote, then certain of them came unto him saying, Good master, we have Moses and the prophets, and whosoever shall live by them, shall he not have life? And Jesus answered saying, Ye know not Moses, neither the prophets, for if ye had known them, ye would have believed on me. For this, for to have in this intent were they written, for I am sent that ye might have life. Luke chapter 14, 35 through 36. And again, in the King James Version, for John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not after, afterward, that ye might believe him. Matthew 21, verse 32. And the inspired translation, for John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and bear record of me, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye afterwards, when ye had seen me, repented not that ye might believe him. For he that believed not John concerning me cannot believe me, except he first repent. And except ye repent, the preaching of John shall condemn you in the day of judgment. Matthew chapter 21, verses 32 through 34 of the Inspired Translation. Now we're on page 166, 74%. Robert Matthews, Robert J. Matthews, since his excellent clarification of texts from the Inspired Translation, and regarding the status of, of the little children, quote, The little children are innocent before God as clearly established by the inspired translation. In explanation of the covenant of circumcision, the Lord said to Abraham it, that its purpose was that thou mayest know forever that children are not accountable before me until they are eight years old. 
Genesis 17, verse 11. This interesting and valuable point is not made in the King James Version of the Bible. Other passages in the inspired translation also discuss the innocence of little children. While in Galilee, Jesus said that the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Matthew 18.11 The corresponding verse in the inspired translation adds that these important words, to call sinners to repentance... But these little ones have no need of repentance, and I will save them. At a later time, when Jesus had gone from Galilee into Judea, people brought little children unto him that he might put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. Matthew 19, verse 13. Evidently, the disciples felt that these Judeans had not heard their Lord te- Lord's teachings concerning little children. The inspired translation gives the reason why the disciples sought to prevent those who come with their little with their little ones. The explanation of the this the, the disciples quote for there is not need for Jesus hath said such shall be saved. These additions. supplied by the prophet Joseph Smith not only attest to the sinless state of childhood but, but give an otherwise unattainable insight unto the reasons why the disciples did not care to have the people come did not care to have the people come with their little children remembering that Jesus said had said in the Galilee about little children needing no repentance, the disciples proceeded to inform the Judeans that there was no real need to have Jesus bless them. And that comes from a look at Joseph Smith's uh, trans, jo, the Joseph Smith translation by jo, Robert J. Matthews, page 10. Oh man, I've been reading for a couple hours, and I've been stopping, and then I had to, uh, I had to read this before I recorded it, and now my son has woken up. He's been sleeping on me, so I've been reading while he's sleeping on me, and he just looked up at me, and now he is going back to sleep, maybe. Another inform informative bit of scriptures pertaining to the empty period of of information about Jesus from ages 12 to 30 from the inspired translation it states and it came to pass that Jesus grew up with his brethren and waxed strong and waited upon the Lord for the time of his ministry to come and he served under his father and he spake not as other men neither could he be taught for he needed not that any man should teach him and after many years the hour of his ministry drew nigh. Matthew 3, 22-25 Among other interesting inserts by the prophet is found in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 11. And now Jesus knew that John was cast into prison, and he sent angels, and behold, they came and ministered unto him. 
This verse is not found in the King James Version, but it shows that some compassion, it shows the love and compassion Jesus had for John and also the power that he had over the angels and he could call them into his service. See, Jesus as the first witness or counselor of the Father has angels that are under him that he directs. I have the same thing. A lot of people think that God the witness is is the Holy Ghost and is everywhere all at once, but let me tell you the truth. There are ministering spirits and angels who are under the direction of both Jesus Christ and the witness that come and they do the work of God on the earth. Every single one of us have ministering spirits who by the power of God the witness and under the authority of God the witness bring the spirit of truth to individuals upon the earth. Well, it's kind of like a general um, speaking to sergeants and captains and excuse me, all of those orders um, down, all the way down to the privates. And each one of us have a number of, of guardian angels and ministering spirits who come to us. And whether or not we listen to them um, is is how much they are uh, have the ability to actually work in our lives and try to help us. Jesus has authority over the angels too. And he could call them to minister He could have called them to break John out of prison, as he did with others. I don't do this very often, but I had a woman who used to call me her adopted son, and she actually wanted me to marry one of her her two daughters. And they lived um, lived in Puerto Rico. And this is in 2013 or 2014, I can't remember. But she contacts me and she tells me that her daughter has this this disease. And she stopped breathing. And they're in Puerto Rico after the earthquake. And they're telling her that it's going to take an hour or two for the ambulance to get to them. And... Her daughter stopped breathing. She had this disease in her lungs that stopped her from breathing. She needed to go to the hospital. She was going to die. And I said, Wanda, what is your daughter's full name? And she told me. And I said, I will take care of this. And I stood up with my arms to the square and in the name of Messiah the second witness of the Father I commanded the angels that I have charge over to go and heal her daughter and when I said amen she started coughing up and breathing again By the time the paramedics got there, she was 100% healed. They still took her to the hospital for observation. And Wanda, her mother, told me 
that the disease was completely gone. Both the first and second witnesses of the Father have authority over the angels. And I, as the second witness of the Father, have authority. And in that instance, I used my authority. But it was the will of God for that to happen. I cannot go against the will of the Father and command the angels that have charge over to do something that is against the will of the Father. Each one of us have a time to die. Each one of us have experiences to go through. And I can't change that. But this woman who was stopped breathing, who was in the throes of death, it was not her time to die. And Wanda needed to understand that I am exactly who I say I am. And I do have this authority that God has given me in 2003 and that I am exactly who he showed me I am in 2013 as the second witness, the one mighty and strong, the Davidic servant and God, the witness, come to mortality on the earth. The King James Version says that that Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, but the inspired translation said it was to commune and to be with God. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. See, Jesus went to commune to be with God. He had his experience upon the mountain, the same as I did. He was the first witness. He received the fullness of the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom under the hand of the Father as his first counselor, the same way I received them on Mount Vashel in 2003. The King James Version indicates that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the devil, but the inspired version says after 40 days he was tempted. King James Version says that the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. But the or the inspired version says that Jesus was taken up on, into the holy city by the, and the spirit setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. It wasn't the devil. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 of the inspired translation. We're on page 168 at 82%. The, or the King James Version quotes Paul, who talks about Melchizedek, and then says, quote, Without father, without mother, without descendant, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abiding a priest continually. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3 of the Inspired Translation. But the inspired translation renders a clearer meaning to what he was saying. For this Melchizedek was ordained a priest after the order of the Son of God, which was 
which order was without father, without mother, without descendant, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And all those who are ordained unto this priesthood are made like unto the Son of God, abiding a priest continually. See, Melchizedek is a person in the Bible. Some people think he's Jesus Christ before his uh, incarnation. He's not. Melchizedek is the title that was given to Shem. God changed Shem, the son of Noah. He changed his name to Melchizedek. And he was ordained a priest after the order of the Son of God. And because this man was so righteous, God allowed the priesthood to be called the Melchizedek priesthood. Okay. The thousands of changes, insertions, and additions to the inspired translation are too numerous to include. But a few of them are quoted here to show the improvement made by Joseph Smith as a prophet in his work on the Bible. The King James Version of 1 Corinthians 14.35 states, It is a shame for women to speak in churches. And that actually was added in the 4th century. It was not. It's not in any of the manuscripts before the 4th century. But the inspired translation, which is the correction, see, like some Catholic priests added it in, in there to shut the nuns and the women up in the church and told them it's a shame for them to speak. That's not scripture. I don't care if it's in the King James Version of the Bible. It was added in the 4th century, and none of the manuscripts before that have that insertion in it that so many people falsely believe is scripture, including, but not limited to the uh, fundamentalist Baptists who really go, and the Amish and the Mennonites, and they, they tell the women to shut up. But in the inspired translation, the correction is, for it is a shame for women to rule in the church. See, they're not supposed to be bishops and elders and prophets. Now, in the community of Christ, which is the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they just ordained their first prophetess. Now, there are prophetesses, but they're not allowed to be in ruling they're not allowed to rule over the church. Now, there can be like people like Deborah who are, uh, are judges when there is a lack of righteous men to be in that position, but that's not ruling over the church. That's over the nation. So like recently, um, the place where I unload my oil to be loaded onto trains, it was full, and they did not have a train to come, they had to stop operations. I got a day and a half off, which really sucks because I lost three loads over that a day and a half, which comes down to $825 for me off my paycheck. It sucks. But what I was able to do was um, <laughs> I went to some friends and helper who I'm very good friends with. My wife and kids were there and they were at a Super Bowl party and I walked in right after um, the Kansas City Chiefs won the game and my friend Scott was very upset he did not want them to win again <laughs> it's kind of funny but um, but I was able to be there because um, because they had shut down operations and I I had to go back and park my truck and then I took my, my minivan over and I was able to 
spend an hour with my friends, which I was supposed to be at work and I wasn't going to be able to make it. But something, and that was fun, but something more important happened the next day. My daughter, who's in fifth grade, was invited to go and to hear a keynote speaker from the Supreme, uh, the Supreme, one of the Supreme Court justices of Utah, who was a woman, who is a woman. And we sat on the front row, front and center, and like it was so good. I'm so glad I was able to go there with my daughter and actually have this experience with her. I loved, I loved the talk, and we were able to ask her questions and stuff afterwards, and it was just fun. She has the right, even biblically, to sit as a judge on the Supreme Court for the state of Utah. But that same woman has no authority or right to sit as a prophet, seer, or revelator, a stake president, a patriarch, a bishop, or an elder of the church. Now, the community of Christ, or the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they have this in the scriptures that they use, for it is a shame for women to rule in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35, of the inspired translation. That's their scripture. And yet they've ordained women apostles. Now, you can have women apostles. Mary Magdalene was a woman apostle. There are others who are apostles, but they were not ordained as leaders in the church. You cannot have a president of a church or a prophet, seer, and revelator of a church who is over the church according to this scripture. They're not allowed to rule in the church. But the the apostate church of, of the reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they've gone away from this. They don't care. And they have recently... Um, ordained as a prophet, seer, and revelator, and president of the church, a woman to rule over them. Of course, they've done many other abominations um, in the church themselves. So, <coughs> excuse me. And it's sad. And I listen. And I listen to some of their ministers, their 70s and stuff, and I'm like, wow, this is ridiculous. Like, very knowledgeable in textual criticism and scholarly, whatever, and church history with no ounce of inspiration or faith among them. They're in complete apostasy. But then again, they're all in complete apostasy. In the King James Version of the Bible, in Matthew 19, 26, it says, Jesus beheld them and said, but in the inspired translation of the same chapter and verse, it says, but Jesus beheld their thoughts and said unto them. We're on page 169, which is 85% through. The King James Version of First Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. But in the very same 
chapter and verse of 1 Samuel. In the inspired translation, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit, which was not of the Lord, troubled him. In the King James Version of the Bible, Mark 7, 24 and 25, it states, And from thence he arose and went into the border of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered into the house, and would have no man known it, but he could not be hid. In the same inspired translation of the same chapter in Mark, and the same verses in Mark, it states, And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would that no man should come unto him. But he could not deny them, for he had compassion upon all men. In the King James Version of the Bible, Luke chapter 15, verse 4, it states, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which was lost until he find it? But in the inspired translation, it states in the same chapter and verse of Luke, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine and go into the wilderness after that which is lost until he find it? Or on page 170, 87%, the King James Version of 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 24 states, Let no man seek his own, but let but every man another's wealth. That's interesting. Wouldn't that go against the coveting? In the inspired translation of 1 Corinthians uh, 10.24, it states, Let not man seek therefore his own, but every man's another good, another's good. So seek for their welfare not for their wealth. That's the translation. The error that crept into the Bible, which was changed from the original, changed back by the prophet. It takes a prophet to know the truth. The translators, many of them righteous men who made mistakes, some of them wicked men. Wicked men who were interested in breaking the commandments of God, which is going after another man's wealth. It's ridiculous. And this comes from the Roman church after it hijacked the early Christian church. And they inserted these things into the scriptures to have power and control over the people. The King James Version of the Bible of Exodus 7, verses 3 and 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my children and my people, the cho- the children of Israel, Exodus 7, 3 and 4. But in the inspired, <coughs> sorry, 
but the inspired version, God is not the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart. It states, and Pharaoh will harden his heart, as I said unto thee, and thou shalt multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not hearken unto you. Therefore, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies, my people, and the children of Israel. Exodus 7, 3 and 4. In the King James Version of the Bible, Acts 13, verse 48, it states, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. But in the inspired translation, it states, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as believed were ordained unto eternal life. Acts chapter 13, verse 48 of the Inspired Translation. We're on page 171, 90%, thank goodness, because I this is a long chapter. <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to, put, uh, to get all this ready. Um, and even though I'm recording now, it's still going to take a lot of effort to get this ready for publication. But anyway, um, I only have 5% left on my battery. Um, King James Version. For this is my blood of the New Testament, for which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 28. But the same in the uh, inspired translation. For this is in remembrance of my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for as many as shall believe on my name for the remission of their sins. It is interesting to note that the verse below caused many women to suffer death at the hands of superstitious and misinformed people. Exodus 22:18, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. However, Joseph Smith properly translated the verses, Thou shalt not suffer a murderer to live. Mark Twain had considerable trouble with this verse in the Bible. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. Exodus 23, verse 13, or verse 3. After a considerable time and effort in researching many of the ancient manuscripts, he discovered that the word wicked had been left out by some of the translators. It is interesting to note that the prophet Joseph Smith, without having to go to these ancient manuscripts also rendered it, neither shalt thou countenance a wicked man in his cause. Exodus 23, verse 3. We're on page 172 at 93%. The apostate Robert McKay, who joined forces with the anti-Mormons, is a, cons- a constant writer of some of their rancid yellow German uh, journalism. In a recent anti-Mormon newspaper, Roberts wrote, the, the Joseph Smith translation or inspired version of the Bible was prepared by Joseph Smith to correct the supposed errors in the King James Version rather than adding any of the lost books of the Bible. Joseph actually removed one, the Song of Solomon. In addition, and corrections to the remaining 65 books are greatly inferior to the quality of the original King James text. 
and that comes from the anti-Mormon apostate Utah uh, Evangel, Evangel uh, August, uh, September 1985. It is obvious that the bias and prejudice of most of these critics have blotted out their common sense and reason since they are unable to see the vast improvements in Joseph Smith's work over the King James Version or the King James Translation. Little wonder that the Lord says he has contempt for so many of these men who have merchandised Christianity. Robert J. Matthews quoted often in this chapter should probably be considered the foremost authority on the inspired translation of the Bible. He concluded that this version of Joseph Smith's contains thousands of variations from any other Bible known to be in existence. The text also contains much more information, greater clarification, and new text to to make it a more complete and extended Bible than any other said Matthews. Thus, the text of the inspired translation gives a wider range of subject matter to the writings of the prophet than is evident from the King James Version. It also speaks well of John the Baptist's knowledge of the future mission of the Christ. The impacts on the inspired translation is to be more a more complete and convincing witness to the perfect character of Jesus Christ and his and of his divine appointment to minister among men. In addition, the text strongly upholds the prophets in their work or of bearing the testimony of the Savior and shows strong attachments between Jesus and the prophets. Of particular interest is Jesus' high regard for John the Baptist. Months, month, much of the contributions made by the inspired translation on these matters consists in the emphasis given to principles already in the Bible, although some of these things, uh, hold on, um, although some things entirely new are also present. I look at Joseph Smith's translation, page 24. The more serious students of the inspired translation should obtain a copy of Joseph Smith's new translation of the Bible published by the Herald Publishing House, Independence, Missouri. This volume goes through the Bible showing a detailed comparison between the King James and the inspired versions. The work of Joseph Smith on the revisions of the Bible is really one of his his minor works. Yet it stands as a masterpiece by comparison to all the other revisions and translations of the Bible. If Joseph Smith had never translated the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham, or revealed the Book of Moses and John, nor given the numerous revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants, and left us only his revision of the Bible, we would still know that he had more inspiration than all the clergy and translators since those ancient manuscripts were first written. So we finally finished this chapter. I know it's been long, um, or over three hours between parts one and part two. <coughs> when we come back for the next chapter that we will get to, 
uh, will be on page 174, which is chapter 11. And it is the conclusion of As It Is Translated Correctly. And the title of that chapter is A Marvelous Work and a Wonder. <clears throat> so I'll get this out on Blog Talk Radio today. And then when I go to work, I will do the screenshots of it because I got a lot of other things I got to do. Uh, luckily, when I'm driving, um, I actually have two iPhones, an iPad, and then an Android. And one of the iPhones has a, um, it's not connected to any phone service. And I have very little stuff on it, uh, just a few things. One of them is this uh, screen recording thing that I have. And I have iTunes on it for my podcasts. And I use that primarily to screen record um screen record the podcast so I can put it into the YouTube so that I can then put uh, publish it to the different groups and stuff I have on Facebook. LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, Gospel Mysteries, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. They're all my groups. Um, pages would be uh, Messiah Ben Joseph. Another page would be Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Um... Another uh, page would be the Church of the Living Messiah, which is the name of the church that God told me to organize um, for the remnant of of the people. And I did organize that church um, in uh, 2013-2014. However, uh, we only have a bishop of that church right now because the patriarch of that church apostatized and um, and he's been excommunicated. So anyway, um, the members of the church have received their baptism and um, even though they have been called to gather, people will receive baptism, but they're not willing to move to Emory County, Utah, which is where God has commanded me to move to and to gather the people to. So I've done my part. Um, It's time for the remnant to do theirs if they are truly going to be part of the remnant. So anyway, like I said, uh, chapter 11 will come. uh, I'll record that next week. And uh, I'll probably put it out the week after that. But if you are following me on Blog Talk Radio, you'll get it as soon as it's done. You don't have to wait for the uh, YouTube uh, to be published in order for the um, for the stuff to come forth. But um, you will be able to find any links in the uh, in the Blog Talk Radio uh, website, um, and that would be blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. So. Anyway, uh, it seems like I've had uh, people picking up on those subscriptions. Also, you can find it in iTunes by searching for Zion's Redemption Radio Network, and that one will be uh, published here quickly as well. So you just, if you're waiting for the YouTube, you're going to have to wait a little bit because I don't have time to do it all on my days off. i got a lot of other things to do, and I, it's just better where I sit down and I'm driving my truck, I'm doing my work, I have... It plugged into the uh, the truck. I've got it going to my FM modulator, 
which plays this on my on the stereo so I can listen to it and make sure everything's going right and it's not dropping the recording. And then when I get off of work after four days, when I finally come home, um, that day or the next day, I will upload it to the YouTube and then I'll do all the work and then finally that one will be done all the way. So um, there will be a time when I am completely shut up. Um, I've already had, um, I'm aware that the church is aware of me. Um, they've told people in area conferences and somebody sent me a recording of this. I think it was Jeffrey R. Holland who told people not to listen to my podcast and that I was just a self-proclaimed prophet. That's fine. I don't care what he says because he has no authority over me. Um, at all. Not even a little bit. Um, and I've had contact with people in the Illuminati who tried to get me to give it up and to join them for a great deal of wealth. I've even been invited to speak at the UN. Um, um, well, it was a UN assembly in San Francisco, so I'm not exactly sure what that was all about. But I, I, people are aware of me. Like people shut me up all the time. I've been, uh, I've had threats. I've had my phones turned off. I've been shadow banned. If you're finding this, you are lucky. So, um, so I will do this as long as I can. But I, I'm pretty sure there will come a time when you will not hear my voice anymore. And just like with my first series of podcasts, which there was over almost 500 podcasts on my first podcast called The Kingdom of God or Nothing, it's all gone now. Like, you can go look it up, and you'll see the episodes, but when you click on it, there is no audio, because they destroyed it, because they want me to shut up, and I'm not going to do that. So whether you think I'm a true prophet or a false prophet, that's between you and God. I don't care. I do not see receive honors from men. I receive them from God. He knows who I am, and I don't need anyone else. So except for maybe my wife and my kids that God sent to me. So I love them, and they, they help me so much. So all right, well... Thank you, everyone, for listening to this, and I will let it go at that. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.